Brothers and sisters in Christ, as we prepare to come to God's word together this morning, let us come before him in a time of prayer, asking that he would bless this time, asking him to prepare us to receive his word together this morning. Let us pray. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you. We thank you for this day, this day that we have to come before you, to gather together to worship you, to lift up our voices in song and in praise, coming to you in prayer and coming to receive your word. Lord, may you bless this time. Would you prepare us to receive your word, opening in our ears, our hearts, and our minds and our eyes. Lord, please give your servant your words to speak. May they be your words and not mine. Help me to be attentive to your Holy Spirit's guiding and leading. And may your name, your most holy, precious, and awesome name, be honored, glorified, and magnified here this morning. In your precious Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, to Matthew chapter 18, where we'll be taking a look at verses 21 through 35 together. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. You can find it on page 979 of your pew Bibles. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay back or pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers, until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Forgiveness. It's one of those things that's easier said than done, right? It especially depends on the hurt that's been caused to us. Some things hurt a little bit less, some things are a little bit smaller, and But other things have wounded our hearts greatly, have caused us deep hurt and grief. But as we see here in our passage today, forgiveness is of the utmost importance. It is the restoration, the reconciliation of a relationship that has been broken by sin. I want to share with you a story this morning that I heard years ago from a devotional concerning this passage to help us get our minds going on this topic a little bit. So there was a a Christian family and they had a son and daughter. And for the purposes of the story, let's say their names were Bobby and Sally. So one day, they, well, with 
being in a Christian family, they grew up going to church. And so one Sunday, their Sunday school lesson was on the first couple of verses of our chapter this morning, verses 21 and 22, where Peter goes to Jesus and asks him how many times he's to forgive his brother when they sin against him. And asking if it's to be seven times, offering seven times, which Jesus responds, 77 times, or depending on how you translate it, 70 times seven. Now, this really resounded with Bobby and Sally, and so when they got home, they proceeded to make a couple of lists, one for each of them, of 490 points long. And so whenever they would sin against one another, they would write down what it was and then write the word forgiven next to it in one of those points. And eventually, all 490 points of their lists were filled up. And so, as children do, they jabbed at one another, saying, oh, you can't sin against me anymore. But fast forward a few more years, and at this point, Bobby is waiting to hear back from a very prestigious musical school. He's very excited for it, and so he gives the family specific instructions that if any of them receive a call from this school, to let him know, so that way he can call them back, because it's very time-sensitive. And Sally was the one to get that call, but accidentally forgot to let her brother know. And so, in the end, he didn't end up getting into the musical school, uh, because he learned too late. Eventually, Sally moved away from her family and uh, ended up working at a local diner. And so, one day, a family friend comes in, and they get to chatting. They sit and chat for a while, catching up, seeing how one another's doing, talking about life, family, and and the like. But eventually, the topic of Bobby comes up, and turns out he had gotten sick and died while Sally was gone. And Sally was heartbroken. She was grieved that she couldn't, she hadn't had the opportunity to make things right with Bobby before he died. So Sally made her way back to her parents' house and went up to the attic and started going through Bobby's old things, and she came across those lists of theirs from when they were kids. And under all 490 points at the bottom in letters written by Bobby were the words 491 forgiven. When Sally read those words, peace settled on her as she knew Bobby had forgiven her for forgetting to let him know about the call that came. While the notion of keeping a list of other sins up to the limit of what Jesus says in this passage can seem quite silly, come across as quite silly, the end of the story gets at the heart of of what Jesus is seeking to convey here in this parable, that God has called us to forgive others without limit and from the heart just as God forgives us without limit and showed us the extent of his heart in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, going to Calvary so many years ago, which we look forward to celebrating here in just a couple of weeks on Good Friday. Before we dive into the text itself, it's important that we take a moment to define what we mean by the word forgiveness. So we may have a general concept of what forgiveness means, but it can be beneficial, helpful to have a basic definition as we take a look at the topic of forgiveness together this morning. So one person defines God's forgiveness of us, which our forgiveness then is to model this way. God's decision, declaration, and promise to those who believe in Jesus Christ to not hold our sins against us because of Jesus Christ. God's decision, declaration, and promise to those who believe in Jesus Christ to not hold our sins against us because of Jesus Christ. So with this basic definition in mind, let's turn to take a look at our passage together this morning. 
We see that prior to the parable itself, we get the setting for it, which we find in verses 21 and 22. We see that it begins with a question from Peter. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, here it's important to get a little bit of historical background before we move on to Jesus' response. As we dive into the theological culture of Jesus' day, it's important to realize that here in Peter's question, he's going above and beyond what was typically required by the religious traditions of that day. Rabbis required that you only needed to forgive someone three times, and other traditions offered even less than that. So with Peter's question here, his offer of seven times is practically double what the religious traditions of that day offered. But Jesus takes it even further. In verse 22, we get Jesus' response, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now sometimes footnotes in our Bibles also offer or 70 times seven. Whichever way it's taken, what Jesus is seeking to teach here is that forgiveness is to be limitless, ongoing, And Jesus proceeds to demonstrate this principle, or in the case of one of the parable's characters, a lack thereof. We see that Jesus then transitions into the parable. He says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, before we continue on in the text this morning, we're going to do a little bit of math here together. We're going to take a look at how much in today's money this first servant would have owed. If you take a look at your Bibles, they may have a footnote that says a talent was worth roughly 20 years of a laborer's daily pay. And so taking Indiana's minimum wage for 2023, which is $7.25 per hour, if we add that up for an eight-hour day, it will be $58. And then if you take that, keep in mind for a whole year, 52 weeks, excluding the weekends, though, it would add up to $15,080. That's for a whole year. Then you multiply that by 20 years, and you get $301,600. That's a pretty sizable amount, isn't it? That's only one talent, though. This servant owed 10,000 talents. So for the amount that this servant would have owed, it would have been $3.016 billion in terms of today's money. So what's all this getting at? Matthew is trying to drive home that this servant owed an insurmountable debt, one that he could never pay back. This may seem far removed from us, brothers and sisters, doesn't it? Yes, We have mortgages, car payments, but this large of a debt can potentially seem baffling to us. And yet, this was the kind of debt we owed God because of our sin. One that was unpayable by us, just like the servant. And just like the servant, sometimes in our mentalities, maybe we think or say, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. But God knows that we can't, that we never could. Rather, we are saved by grace through faith alone. As we continue on in the text, we then read, And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. To us, this can sound pretty harsh, doesn't it? But we need to remember to read this in light of the culture of that day and age. And in that time, what was known as debtor slavery was pretty common, actually. Although it was more so a punishment rather than seeking to pay a debt. The servant, however, makes a desperate plea to the king offering that he will pay it back with a little bit of time. 
However, there was no way that the servant was going to be able to pay back that debt, as we just mentioned. But this plea, the king meets with pity for the servant. I want to take a moment and briefly delve into the significance of this pity that the master, the king, has on the servant in the original language. Flesh it out a little bit more. Initially, this phrase may come across as kind of surface level, kind of like feeling the feeling that you might have if you have a puppy that's floundering around and trying to get its footing. We might think, oh, poor puppy. But the original language, it goes deeper than that. The word that's used here, it correlates with one's internal organs, like the heart, the liver, the kidneys. Because in that day and age, that's where the affections resided. So what is being conveyed here is that this pity, this compassion that the king has on this servant, it is a deep, moving compassion. He was deeply moved for the servant. To give us some more context surrounding this word, this is the same root word that's used elsewhere to describe Jesus' compassion on the crowds in Mark 6, verse 34. And also it has the connotation of compassion on sinners from a divine standpoint. Think about that. Divine compassion on those who have sinned. We can see that this points us to the forgiveness that we have received from God. With these thoughts in mind, let's continue on, brothers and sisters. The king then does something only he could do. He not only cancels the debt of the servant, but he also lets the servant go. Brothers and sisters, what is going on here is amazing. This king shows the servant both mercy and grace. Mercy being some, not getting something that we deserve, and grace being getting something that we don't deserve. So the servant has shown mercy in that his family all, and all that he had is not sold to pay the debt, which he rightly deserved. And he has shown grace in that his debt is canceled completely and he's let go, which he does not deserve. Beacon light, just like we see here with the king doing something only he can do in regards to us and our debt of sin, we see God do something only he can do. Unlike the servant, our debt cannot be canceled outright. It demands payment. As the author of Hebrews writes in chapter 9, verse 22, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But God shows us mercy by paying the debt himself through Christ's precious blood shed on the cross, thusly not giving us the punishment we so rightly deserve, and rather taking it on himself, which we, as we mentioned before, we look forward to celebrating that in just a couple of weeks. And then he shows us grace by giving or imputing Christ's righteousness to us, giving us something that we don't deserve. Beacon Light, how amazing is the God that we serve? How gracious is he? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord. But he holds out this free gift of his grace to you. I encourage you, come, receive his gift of grace through faith. Repent of your sin. Believe in Jesus Christ. Submit your life to his lordship. Sadly, the parable does not end there, though. As we continue on in the parable, we are about to see the contrast of God's unbounding mercy and grace. As we continue on in the text, we read, but, which denotes a contrast that we're going to focus on here in just a little bit. When that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Let's stop there for a moment. Once again, we're going to do just a little bit more math to figure out how much this second servant owed in terms of today's money. If we take the minimum wage for Indiana, again, $7.25 an hour, 
with the amount of $58 for an eight-hour day. Then for the amount that second servant owed, which was 100 denarii, we would simply multiply it only by 100 days, which uh, denarii was a day's wage. This gives us the grand total of $5,800. What do you notice about this amount in comparison to the first servant's debt? It's a lot less. But what does the first servant do? Seizing him, he began to choke him. He began to choke him. He goes on to demand of the servant, pay what you owe. Then almost word for word in both the original language as well as what we see here in the English, the servant repeats the plea that the first servant had made just paragraphs earlier to his, to his master. Have patience with me and I will pay you. What does the first servant do? He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Brothers and sisters, can you believe the gall of this servant? He stands in complete contrast to the king who so graciously and mercifully canceled his debt and let him go. First, compared to the formal setting that the first servant enjoyed, this is basically a makeshift court in the streets. Second, compared to the fair treatment that he received from his master, this servant goes out and chokes his fellow servant. Thirdly, he fails to have the same deep-moving compassion that the king had on him. And lastly, compared to the first, the punishment that he stood to face, the servant inflicts a worse punishment than he stood to face. And all over a few thousand dollars worth of money. It's completely outrageous. Which is exactly what some of the other servants thought. As we continue on, we see that the servant is not going to escape justice on their watch. Picking up in verse 31, we read, When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Maybe at this point we're thinking, good, he got what he deserved. We're not done with the text yet. There's one more verse there. The next verse turns the mirror on us. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And the statement in verse 35, it seems pretty stern, doesn't it? Perhaps it makes us wonder or ask the question if our salvation can be lost if we don't forgive or that not forgiving is unforgivable. One person helps us in taking a look at this verse when they write, The point of the parable is not that God's forgiveness, once granted, will be revoked if a follower of Jesus refuses to forgive his brother or sister. Rather, refusal to forgive, and note that, rather, refusal to forgive is symptomatic of a person who fails to grasp the impossible depth of his debt and the infinite magnitude of God's mercy, and therefore has no reason to presume that he has received God's forgiveness in the first place. It's important to note, as we're going to see in just a little bit, we do falter and fail at forgiving others, brothers and sisters, as we have been forgiven. And so it's important to know that our faltering and failings are forgivable. Faltering and failing is not the same as refusing outright to forgive. When we do so, we are not outside. When we falter and fail, we are not outside the cover of Christ's precious and atoning blood for us. All we need to do is come before the Lord in repentance, asking for his forgiveness, asking that he would enable us through the working of his Holy Spirit to then go and forgive. 
also as we're going to explore a little later, those who are taking time to forgive because of deep-rooted, long-lasting hurt, they're not being unforgiving. Rather, they are taking time for God to heal their hearts, to be able to forgive from the heart. What we see here, we see that God's forgiveness, God's grace should impact our lives so greatly that we cannot help but forgive others. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what is being driven home to us is that citizens of God's kingdom do not act in this way, living with persistent hard hearts and bitterness towards those who have sinned against us. God is instructing his people saying, do for others what I have done for you. Forgive as I forgave you. Ultimately, we look to Christ. Even as he hung there on the cross, dying to redeem the lost, you and I, brothers and sisters, paying the debt that we could never pay. What did Jesus pray concerning the people who put him there? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He forgave them. What a gracious God we serve. So brothers and sisters, as kingdom people, God's forgiveness should have an impact on our lives. The grace that we have received from God, the grace that we have tasted, we should desire to extend to others who hurt us. And we should because of what Christ has done for us. A few weeks ago, together we took a look at Micah 6, verses 6 through 8. And we read in Micah 6, 8, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. We see all throughout Scripture the mercy that God shows, from sparing Adam and Eve when they sinned, to Cain, to the numerous times God had mercy on Israel when they turned from, other, from him to serve other gods, to worship other gods. And so many other places. And that mercy God has shown, he desires for us to show others as we see here in our text this morning, without limit and from the heart. And yet, on the one hand, as we mentioned before, it's not easy. It's difficult at times. And as we also said before, we're imperfect people. We don't do this perfectly. Before we continue on, some questions that might be going around in our minds might be, though, what if what was done to me really hurt? What if that hurt runs deep? What if the person doesn't believe that they've sinned against me? These are legitimate questions, but I want us to linger a little bit longer here first before we take a look at those. We'll return to them a little bit later on. Brothers and sisters, we are by no means perfect in this life. We are being continually formed more and more into the image of our Lord and Savior. There are times that we will falter and fail in this regard, that we do falter and fail in this regard. I know that I do. So it's important to ask ourselves questions like, what are some ways that we can be unforgiving towards people in our own lives? There's a couple of different ways. Holding grudges being one of them. I want to read you a poem this morning that encompasses this topic of grudges. It's by William Blake, and it's called A Poison Tree. And it goes like this. I was angry with my friend. I told my wrath. My wrath did end. I was angry with my foe. I told it not. My wrath did grow. And I watered it in fears, night and morning with my tears, and I sunned it with smiles and with soft, deceitful wiles. And it grew both day and night till it bore an apple bright, and my foe beheld it shine, and he knew that it was mine. And into my garden stole when night had veiled the pole, and the morning glad I see, my foe outstretched beneath the tree." 
From what we read here in the poem, it seems that the fellow who was holding the grudge got what he wanted by holding a grudge, the harm of his enemy. But brothers and sisters, that is not how life actually is, is it? When we hold grudges against others, when we hold on to the hurt that has been caused us, we are the ones who end up dead inside. We grow bitter, hardened, calloused. A pastor that I served under once mentioned in regards to forgiveness something that really stuck with me. God did not create you to live in bitterness. God did not create you to live in bitterness. And when we hold on to our hurt, when we hold on to grudges, that is exactly what we're doing. We're living in bitterness. In Christ Jesus, we have a great freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from hurt that others have caused us, and freedom to forgive through the enabling work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We no longer need to hold on to those hurts that have been done to us. Rather, let us lay them down at his feet, at the feet of the cross. The second way that we can fail to forgive others, pretty similar to holding a grudge, is half-heartedly forgiving someone. We may say with our mouths that we forgive someone, but in our hearts we hold on to the hurt that has been done to us. Once again, we return to that last verse of our passage today to shed some light. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. From your heart. If we are only half-heartedly forgiving someone, we're not forgiving them from our hearts, are we? As we said before, we do falter and fail in these regards, brothers and sisters. But as we said before, thanks be to God that we can come before him in repentance, asking that he forgive us for these times that we fall short, that we falter and fail in regards to forgiveness. Asking that he would be working in our hearts to bring us to a place where we can forgive those who have sinned against us through the enabling work of the Holy Spirit. That being said, it's also important to highlight some specific things of forgiveness, some specific notions about forgiveness that we need to avoid. One notion that we need to discuss and avoid is the common and trite phrase, forgive and forget. Maybe you've heard that at some point in your own life, forgive and forget. Just because we forgive does not mean that we, do not, that we forget the wrong that was done, minimize sin or do away with consequences, but rather in forgiving someone, we state that we won't foster bitterness in our heart concerning what was done, nor bring up what was done in use against them, against the person. Also, while we are to forgive, this does not mean that we are to be easily shoved around either, but that we can insist on accountability. Beacon Light, this passage is set within a discourse of Jesus where he talks about what the kingdom community, the church, should look like and how they are to interact with one another. This chapter particularly deals with the heavy topic of sin, and our passage today, along with the preceding passage, deal with how the church is to deal with sin amidst the community. So what does our passage today mean for us as the body of Christ? How does it apply? Because of the forgiveness that we have so freely received from God, who do we need to show forgiveness to in our day-to-day lives that we may be resisting due to past hurts? What grudges do we need to let go of? What sins have we half-heartedly forgiven? Each of these questions will have a different response for each of us, but to help us get the wheels turning, at least concerning that first question, for adults and those who are single, maybe it's a parent or a sibling or a coworker. Maybe a friend that we need to forgive. For those who are married, this point of unlimited forgiveness from the heart is so crucial as throughout life, we as spouses need to be forgiving one another. 
As for the other questions, we have to answer those individually, taking a look at our own hearts and lives. Whatever the case may be, it is important for us to take this introspective look at our own hearts, asking the Lord that he would show the areas in our lives where we might be resisting, where we might be holding on to hurt. Before we conclude this morning, it's important that we return to the questions that we mentioned earlier about what if the hurt runs deep? What was done to us really hurts, and what if the person doesn't believe that they've sinned against us? Concerning the first set of questions, it's so important to take note that forgiveness may take time if the hurt that's been done to us runs deep or has been done over a long period of time. First of all, taking time to forgive is not the same as an unforgiving spirit or not forgiving someone. In that instance, a person is taking the time to heal and work their way toward being able to truly forgive the person that has hurt them, the person that has sinned against them from their heart, which is exactly what our passage calls us to do this morning. It may take time, but in the case of deep-rooted hurt, the time taken to heal should ultimately lead to genuine forgiveness as we seek God's work in our own hearts. As for the process of healing, who better can we turn to than our Heavenly Father? He knows our hearts. He knows our hurts. Christ lived and experienced what we experience, both the good and the bad. So in him we have the perfect one to turn to for healing and restoration. We're told by Jesus in Matthew 5.44 to love our enemies as well as praying for people who persecute us. As we said before, that seems easier said than done. But it's important that we ask God to turn our anger towards those who have hurt us into love eventually. And also we find great comfort knowing that in Jesus we can lay our burdens down at his feet. In Matthew 11.28-30 he says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yes, it may take time to heal, to be able to forgive those who have hurt us. Yes, it may take a lot of wrestling in prayer. Asking for God to be working in our hearts to bring us to a place where we can forgive, and God does grant healing in his timing. And we can rest in that process as he works and softens our hearts. As for the question concerning what if a person doesn't believe they've sinned against us, one person helps answer this question well when they write, even if, even if Christian brothers sin against us and refuse to express sorrow or make amends, we have no right to hold a grudge to judge their hearts or to hope they remain obstinate until they face judgment. We must seek to win them. Therefore, in our hearts, we forgive them, even if we do not forget their offense in the sense of pretending it did not happen. In short, we must always forgive from the heart, even if we must rebuke sin and sinners and take steps to prevent them from wronging either us or others again. Beacon light. There's a lot of hurt that we'll experience over the course of our lives from various people, but as Christians, as a part of the body of Christ, it's so important for us to be able to forgive those that have sinned against us from the heart and to be able to forgive without limit, 491 times and beyond, just as God has forgiven us in Christ. This morning we took a look at the grace and mercy that God has shown us in Christ, as well as our own failure at times to be forgiving towards others. But thanks be to God that Christ's blood covers all our sins, all our falling, failings and falterings, that we can turn to him in repentance, seeking his forgiveness and grace, and that through the enabling, of the enabling work of the Holy Spirit, we can turn then to forgive those who have sinned against us, limitlessly and from the heart, as God desires us to do. When we do forgive, it frees us from the shackles of our hurts and we can no longer be burdened by them. 
Sometimes it may take time to forgive, but it's crucial that we take that time to be able to genuinely forgive from the heart and to be able to forgive limitlessly, asking God that he would be working in our hearts and lives, turning to him for that healing when the hurt runs deep. And we look forward to the day when sin is no more, when hurt is no more, and we stand before our king who has forgiven and redeemed us for all eternity, getting to worship him, praise him, for all eternity. Amen. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you. We thank you for this time that we could spend together in your word. We thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. As we head out into our days and weeks ahead, Lord, help us to take time to reflect, first and foremost, on your immense grace and mercy showed to us in Christ Jesus on that cruel cross as you paid the debt that we can never pay, our insurmountable debt. Lord, especially as we look forward to celebrating and remembering Good Friday and Easter, Christ's death and resurrection, may we take time over the next few weeks to reflect on your grace and mercy shown to us. And may your grace and mercy then impact how we show forgiveness to others. Lord, help us to also take time to take an introspective look at our own hearts and lives where we may falter and fail in forgiving those who have hurt us, those who have sinned against us. Lord, we know that we falter and fail in this regard, and we pray that you would forgive us when we do. We thank you for your grace and your mercy shown to us in Christ that through the enabling work of your Holy Spirit and your work in our hearts and lives, we can then turn in forgiveness to those who have hurt us, those who have sinned against us. Lord, we love you and thank you and praise you. Help us to live out of gratitude for what you have done for us in Christ, forgiving others as you have forgiven us. We love you, O Lord. In your precious Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.